Okay, well, we're going to jump right into this this morning. Um, We've got two weeks left in this series called The Hidden Kingdom. So this is part 12, which is just crazy to me that we're at part 12. We'll wrap things up next week. Um, We've covered a lot of territory. The basic idea of this series is that God is present and available, and his kingdom is available right here and now. Jesus talked about it all the time while he was on the earth. And it's hidden because God has chosen to kind of hide himself, if you will, and allow us to make a choice. God, I want you. I want the life that's available in you. I want you to come be king in my life, in my home, in my community. I'm inviting you there. And so Jesus, when he used parables, which we've looked at a lot of them, um, parables do help us understand things, right? They give us a picture that we can recognize and learn from. But Jesus actually told us that his real purpose in the parable was to keep something hidden in hopes that we would pursue him, pursue his kingdom, figure out what he's up to, what's available to us. And so this is just kind of a rough idea, rough sketch of where we've been. And so we've talked about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to let him be king in our lives. And over the last couple of weeks, we begin to really look outward more and more. And so two weeks ago, we talked about being um, people of peace and recognizing the, the quote-unquote people of peace that God puts in our lives. And really simply, it just means the people whose lives are open to us. We have, we have neighbors, family members, friends, coworkers who are open to us, and we get to choose to be a light in their life and, and give them a taste of God's kingdom. And so we talked about being purposeful about those relationships. Last Sunday, we talked about light and the power of God's light to come, and it, it exposes things that need to be dealt with, but light also encourages life to grow. And there's things God wants to grow in us. And he calls us to be light, to let his, his light shine to a world in need. And so now this morning, we're going to talk about probably one of our favorite topics. And that is the topic of loving our enemies. Doesn't that just give you the, the warm and fuzzies this morning? Loving our enemies. That's where we're going to go. So I need help with that in my own life. And I sure need Jesus' help to not only give me some guidance and some direction, but maybe give me a little bit of courage and a little bit of love to walk in that. So I want to just pray one more time and invite Jesus to come help me, help all of us be peacemakers, be people who learn to love our enemies. And so, God, would you come do that? Lord, would you make sense of this message to us? God, if if there's something hidden that doesn't make sense, it is this. God, that you would call us to love our enemies. God, would you give us a glimpse of your heart? Would you you show us not just how to do this, God, would you give us your presence and your grace so we can do this, so we can do this. God, open our eyes to see things we haven't seen. Open our minds to understand things maybe we've missed. God, would you help us to love like you do, to love our enemies? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So the first enemy I ever had in my life was a neighbor kid when I grew up on the streets of Houston, Texas, actually Sugar Land. And in my little neighborhood, you know, there's several friends on our little cul-de-sac where we live, kind of, you know, just middle-class family living in a little neighborhood. And the first enemy I had was my neighbor, Big Brian. Now, 
The main reason that Big Brian was Big Brian is because there was another neighbor a few years younger than him also named Brian. And so the brilliant nicknames we came up for the two Bryans was Big Brian and anybody? Little Brian, right? We were brilliant. So Big Brian, you know, he had an angry side sometimes, and he was a little bigger than all of us. And I have this distinct memory one time, and I wish I could remember what caused it, but we had some typical dumb neighborhood argument, you know, probably playing sports, and somebody lost and got mad, probably me. Um, and so we're, we're out there, and Big Brian is angry. And he goes into his garage, and he comes out with this, like, metal pole. And I remember him just standing in his driveway, banging the ground with the pole, just mad at us. Now, looking back, like, my heart breaks for this kid. Like, I'm sure, you know, he had some hurt and some wounding. At the time, I was just like, this is real-world Goliath happening right here, right now, in this moment. Like, it was so scary, so intimidating. And it was just always a hard relationship with Big Brian. Now, for those of you who were here two Sundays ago, and I told a slingshot story, um, I do not have a slingshot story this morning. Um, I did not go that far with my Goliath analogy in my mind. Um, I was scared of Big Brian, and I steered clear of Big Brian. Now, that seems silly or whatever, and, and maybe when you think of enemies, maybe you remember a childhood thing like that. But I think for many of us, um, it might not even be obvious to us or clear to us who our enemies are right now in this life. Maybe you're like that. Maybe you're going, man, I don't really feel like I have a lot of enemies. Maybe it's, it's very clear to you. Maybe you're really aware of some people that are your enemies. It might be people that you've never met. You know, people have a voice in the culture and you disagree with them, you get upset with them, you get frustrated with them, and like maybe that's an enemy for you. Maybe there's someone that you wouldn't even call an enemy, but it's someone in your life that you just know there's stuff there. There's hurt, there's anger, there's pain, and you know that's there. So I wanna, I wanna invite us into this primarily this morning um, we're going to be rooted in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. All right, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talked about his kingdom a lot in this section of Scripture. And so we're going to start by reading Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed or blessed. I don't know why we say blessed when we read this passage of Scripture. I say blessed in all other circumstances. But for some reason, when you read the Beatitudes, you have to say blessed. I don't know why. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, I've just never really heard a loud amen after reading that passage of scripture. And I'm fairly confident that there wasn't a lot of amen happening on that hillside that day either. You know, there's just certain things I read in scripture that just, they're great, they sound great, they're encouraging, I want to receive them and hear them. It's like, yes, amen to that. But then every now and then Jesus drops something like this on us and it's like, get to the next part. <laughs> How quickly can we get there? 
But Jesus is telling us there is something about loving our enemies. There's something about experiencing difficulty, persecution. There's something about being a person who wants to bring peace into really hard situations, really hard relationships. There's some blessing in that for us. There's some participation in God's kingdom that is available in those circumstances, in those situations. Jesus is letting us in on a secret. And if our reaction is, I don't know, I'm not feeling that, we might just be missing something really wonderful even that he has for us. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is this. I want to talk to you about, yes, loving your enemies. And then I want to talk to you about the secret power that's available to help us love our enemies. So loving our enemies, the secret power that's available. And then finally, at the very end, I want to talk to you about faith that moves mountains. All right, here we go. Love your enemies. So a little further down, Jesus gets into some really practical details now about how we can deal with difficult people and difficult circumstances. And so we pick this up now in Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. There's something that happens in me every time I hear these kinds of details about experiencing hurt at the hands of other people. And the thing that arises in me, I'm always grateful to find a companion in Peter. I just, I always find Peter is often communicating the very things I'm dealing with or struggling with. And a little further into Matthew's gospel, at another time when Jesus is talking about experiencing difficulty and learning how to handle that, Peter chimes in. This is Matthew 18, 21. And it says, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Our reaction when we hear that there's going to be difficult people and difficult circumstances and it's going to inflict pain and, and, and trial in our life, if you're anything like me or my buddy Peter, the immediate thing I go to is, where's the line? Where's the line? Where can I draw the line to say, okay, but in this circumstance, in this situation, I, I have permission not to live like that. My brain goes there first. Listen, I want to say up front that I 100% believe that there are horrible circumstances that people find themselves in. There's abuse that's inexcusable. There are situations we need to get ourselves out of. I believe in the concept of boundaries and learning healthy boundaries. I believe all of that. I also believe as we have become more and more aware of those issues, I believe for many of us, 
we take some concepts like abuse I might experience or drawing healthy boundaries, and we just start creating our own safe little world where nothing bad ever gets in, and I never have to live like this. And I actually think for many of us, maybe in correcting a wrong over here, we've swung way over here. And now the easy thing to do when somebody offends me or rubs me the wrong way is I can label them as abusive and toxic. And so I'm just drawing safe, healthy boundaries. And now I don't have to love my enemy. I can just remove my enemy. So here's, here's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. I want to encourage you to, to consider what if at least our starting point, instead of looking at how I can get off the hook, what if my starting point is when trial and difficulty and tribulation comes at the hand of another person, Jesus, what would it look like for me to love my enemy? If, if there is something in this that you have for me, would you help me to have the courage to step into that? What secret does loving our enemies hold that God really wants to unlock for us? What if I just started there, took him at his word? Took him at his word. The passage continues on, Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I just want to pause there for a second. He's tying back in to something he said earlier. In verse 9, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall become the, be called the sons of God. And now here he's saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Being a peacemaker and loving my enemies goes hand in hand, and it is aligned with the very heart and character of our Father. There is, there is some mystery in becoming a little bit more like the Father who loves me that is available when I choose to love my enemy. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? You see what he's saying here? We, we all love those who love us back. That's good. That's right. We should do that. But he said, you want to talk about real love? Love an enemy. Love an enemy. Love someone who speaks ill of you. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, great. This was already difficult. Be a peacemaker. Love my enemies. Now he drops on me. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. Okay. Listen, I actually believe there is some really practical stuff that the Lord wants to give us, if we will hear it, about becoming like our Father. 
about learning to be the kinds of people that can carry around the sort of radical love that we have received and experienced. God wants us to be carriers of that. This word perfect, it doesn't mean perfect the way, the way we think. Okay, it doesn't mean flawless. It doesn't mean you never make mistakes. That's not what this word means. This word perfect, it means complete. In fact, it's used to describe someone coming of age. The same Greek word gets translated age or manhood in other places in the New Testament. It's maturity. It's growing up. Loving your enemies is grown-up love. That's what it is. It's maturity. He calls us to learn to love like our Father, to have the grown-up kind of love that can love someone who hurts me. I can love someone without receiving love back. That's maturity. That's grown-up love. We got any parents in the room? You have grown up love. Because there have been many times in your life, I guarantee, even if I don't know you and I don't know your kids, I guarantee you've had moments of grown up love where you are loving on some kids who are, at least in that moment, not really loving you back a whole lot. <laughs> there might be a lot of taking and not a lot of giving coming that direction. This is the Father's kind of love. I want to show you a couple places in the New Testament that talk to us using the same terminology of the word perfect or maturity that we are called to. The first one is found in James. This is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Similar kind of description here of what Jesus was talking about. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I mean, he's almost quoting Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, same word, and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness leads to maturity. So James is saying one of the reasons why we hang in there when we are experiencing difficulties and trials is that it is actually doing something beneficial in us. If we will hang in there and endure that steadfastness, that word means patient endurance. That's what it means. I'm hanging in there for a while. Patient endurance. It is producing maturity. It's completing us. It's growing us up. See, I don't like this stuff. I don't, I don't like the parts of the scripture that tell me like things are going to be difficult and that that's good for me. Steadfastness helps us grow and become complete. Second, second place in the New Testament I want you to see. 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. You see the same aim there? Becoming more like our Father. There is no fear in love, 
but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not love his, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Two key things in this passage. Number one, loving our enemies is rooted in the character of God. And what John is reminding us is, this is how God has loved you and how he's loved me. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Christ died while we were yet sinners. Friends, I'm experiencing the love of God because Jesus chose to love his enemies. God chose to love me at great cost to himself. And so he knows what he's talking about. When he invites us to love our enemies, it's because he, he has walked that road. It's what he does. It's who he is. It's rooted in his character. And so he says, this is, this is rooted in my character and my love for you. And then he says, I want you to be like that. I, I want you to so experience my love that you can carry it out to people who need it. Enemies of God are, pe- are wounded people. They're broken people. And they, they need to experience the love of God. And so the, the way we move into being perfected, the way we move into maturity is through walking through hard things in life with steadfastness and love, we become more like our Father. Now, here's a really cool thing about our God. One of the primary descriptions of God in the Scripture is that He is a God of steadfast love. In the Psalms alone, in the Psalms alone, the phrase, the steadfast love used to describe God is used 123 times in the Psalms alone. It's all over Old and New Testament. Steadfast love. It's a part of who God is. It's a huge theme in Scripture. Check this out. Psalm 136. I'd encourage you to go read that later. Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. His loving, patient endurance never runs out. And in Psalm 136, that that phrase is the, the theme of the entire psalm. Every single verse in the psalm ends with that phrase. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. This is who God is. He has an enduring, faithful love that lasts forever, that sticks with us through thick and thin. Psalm 145, verse 8. Here's a picture of how that love plays out. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. How does God love his enemies? With graciousness, with mercy. Thank God that he is slow to anger 
and that what he has a whole lot of, what he abounds in, what overflows is steadfast love. He hangs in there with me. He endures with me, for me. And so friends, when he talks to us about loving our enemies, he's letting us in on a really cool secret. He's showing us how to grow and experience his love all the more. The only possible way for me to love my enemies well is with his help. If you leave here today and all you hear is, Jake's saying I need to go be nicer to my enemies, so I'm going to try a little harder this week, you've missed it. I'm saying to you that you and I have been enemies with God. I'm telling you as an ordained pastor who'd been in ministry for over a decade that I spent a while angry with God. Disappointment stacked on disappointment, hurt stacked on hurt, and it had gone from being upset with the people and the circumstances who had hurt me because I was, it was piling up my mountain was getting bigger and bigger. Suddenly, I, I realized one day, I'm not just mad at my circumstances. I'm not just mad at some people who have hurt me. I'm mad at him. And it's only because of his patient endurance with me that he extended mercy and grace to me through that valley, through that difficulty. He hung in there with me until I got to a place where I could see it, I could acknowledge it, and I could say to him, God, I don't, I don't have love in my heart right now. I feel empty. I feel alone. I feel frustrated. I'm upset with you. Help. Help. And the God of steadfast love was faithful, and little by little, more by more, he began to bring me into a place where I could receive his grace, I could let him off the hook, and I could begin to learn to love my enemies. And friends, that leads to the second thing we're talking about this morning, and that is the secret power of this kind of love, and it's, it's really difficult, but it's not complicated. You know what that means? Really difficult, but not complicated? It's the power of forgiveness. It's a simple concept. It's not hard to understand. It is a hard road to walk. But forgiveness is the secret power that unlocks this sort of love and unlocks the ability to love our enemies. It's through the power of forgiveness. I want you all to check this out. Back to Peter's question again. He's being real. He's like, how do I deal with the pain I experience from other people? God, how do I walk this out? How much is too much, right? And so he asked that question. We read already, Matthew 18, 21. Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How much forgiveness do I have to walk in? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
Now, Luke shares a similar moment in, in the disciples' interaction with Jesus, a similar moment. It's found in Luke 17, verses 3 through 6. Jesus is talking to them. He says, pay attention to yourselves. Take note of what's going on in here, what's swirling up here. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Like, you can, you can call out when pain shows up, when wounding happens. Rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Help. That's hard to do. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Friends, I believe this is more than just a cool little picture that I can understand. Oh, wow, Jesus, you're telling me with a little bit of faith, I could talk to that tree, and it'll come up out of the ground, and it'll go fall into that sea over there. Friends, the, the wounds that happen in our lives, the ways that people hurt us, they're like these little seeds that get planted. And when I choose to forgive, I can uproot it pretty quickly. Or maybe I didn't notice the seed landed. And a few days go by, a week goes by, and all of a sudden that anger is like right there at the surface like it just happened. Y'all know that feeling? That's just me? Playing it over in my head? It's like, oh, now it's starting to grow a little bit. The, the weed is popping up. There's another moment of choice. There's this weed growing. God, would you help me to forgive, to go down to the root and pull out that weed because it has no place here. But what Jesus is saying is what about those wounds that go so deep and they've been around so long that they've grown a whole root system and that thing has grown into a tree that is taking over the garden of my heart and that root of bitterness has camped out. And that pain from five years ago is still just as fresh today as it was five years ago. The bad news is, the reality is, when we don't forgive, when we decide I'm going to continue to hold them accountable, I'm not going to let them off the hook for that pain that they caused. The reality is we are the one being damaged. That thing takes root and it takes over. And that hurt and that pain and that wound, it gets rooted deep. The good news is forgiveness is always available. Friends, forgiveness is a huge step of faith. These guys knew it. <laughs> Jesus talked about forgiving, and they immediately said, help my faith. <laughs> it's hard for me to believe that that will really work. I don't feel it. I don't see it. But Jesus shares really good news. He says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can uproot an entire tree. 
however big that hurt is, however long it's been there, however much its roots have sunk down deep, it is not an impossible mountain. It's not some giant tree that cannot be felled. Jesus says with with faith like a mustard seed, that thing can be uprooted and it can be cast into the sea. Micah, chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Here's what God does in his steadfast love. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. This is a concept in scripture that's come to be known as the sea of forgetfulness. God forgives in his own heart. He pulls up trees all the time and casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. Isaiah 43, 25, this is God talking. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. The all-knowing God chooses to forget. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm really bad at that. Early in, in my marriage, my wife Amy and I celebrate our 19th anniversary this, this week, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we're excited about that. Mostly I just feel old and can't believe she's hung in there with me that long. In the early years of our marriage, when, when we would have arguments, I would remind her of all of the similar arguments that we had had. I would bring up ways that this same thing was happening. My memory was long. And we'd be in these arguments, and I would use it like a weapon to get my way, to win the argument, to get her acknowledged she's really the one making the mistake. And so I would point out these things, and I'd bring them up. And I remember one time she looked at me so exasperated, and she's like, you know what? I'm sure you repeat a bunch of stuff too. I just am not sitting around remembering it. She, she never would bring back up the old stuff. My wife was way more forgiving than I was. It's really hard to figure out how to forget but it's also really easy to figure out why we remember. Round and round, the merry-go-round it goes. Playing it in my mind, rehearsing the things I'm frustrated about. And then this pops up and it reminds me of all these other things. And so not only does the record 
stay, it continues to get added to, and it grows. And one thing that I have begun to learn more and more was not only to choose to forgive, like to say, okay, I am going to forgive you of that, right there, right now, that thing. But I began to have a, a breakthrough simply by not talking about it anymore. I'm not talking about, like, squashing your emotional pain and not dealing with places where there's wounding and you need healing. I'm talking about rehearsing the thing that was done to you over and over again in your mind, talking to other people about what that person did to you. And it stays fresh on your mind. It's at the forefront. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgetfulness will follow. But it takes time. And it's a new habit to learn. I can tell you, my wife and I still have arguments. If we'd had this conversation 15, 17 years ago, I could have probably told you about eight of them like that. For all I know, we argued two days ago. I don't remember it. Slowly but surely, Lord's helped me figure out how to stop keeping a record of wrong. Slowly but surely, if I take him at his word and I practice forgiveness and I stop rehearsing, slowly but surely when I choose forgiveness, my memory will start to follow. My emotions will start to follow. And the secret to all of this is prayer. It's prayer. If the whole point of loving like this is becoming like my father, then maybe I need to talk to that father and say, help me love like you do. Help me forgive like you do. Remind me of your steadfast love and help me to patiently endure in love. See, friends, the truth is often my enemies, they're the people in my house. They're my friend down the street. They're my friend that I used to talk to that I don't talk to anymore. Matthew 5, 44, we read this already. It was, it was hidden right within the passages we were reading. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That was another huge lesson I learned. Had someone in my life who hadn't just wounded me, it hadn't stopped. They'd never repented. They'd never acknowledged they'd done anything. And it was just there. And they were just there. And years were passing. And I'm like, Lord, I figured out how to do this with Amy, but like, you know, she loves me. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. I'll never forget, the Lord just impressed upon me. What if you just started praying for that person? Not pray that, like, vengeance comes on them. Just pray for them. Pray for them in their walk with God. Pray for them in their marriage. Pray for them to have success in their business. Just pray for them. And so I began to do that. And it was wild how over time, and, and the way I would do it, I wasn't like this faithful prayer guy. Like, I didn't have the prayer journal. It was like, every day I'm on my knees praying for so-and-so. The thing the Lord helped me to do is, when that person came up 
and I got angry, instead of thinking about the pain, stop and pray for them. So when they came to mind, I'd shut down that old treadmill and I'd pray. And over time, the Lord began to soften my heart towards that person. And I began to see that person with eyes I couldn't see them with before. And I began to recognize, man, this is just another hurting, broken person that probably doesn't even realize what they've done to me. And little by little, more by more, in that situation, the Lord began to give me his eyes. God does this so quickly that it's the first thing Jesus said from the cross. Luke 23. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left, and Jesus said a prayer. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. As it is happening to him, he's already uprooting any potential for unforgiveness. As it's happening, Father, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing. He lets them off the hook. He gives them the benefit of the doubt even as they're killing him. Guys, the last thought I want to leave you with. This kind of faith to forgive like that, to love our enemies, it's the kind of faith that moves mountains. Less than a week before Jesus died, he's walking towards Jerusalem, and he comes up to a tree. It's a fig tree. And it was alive, but it was producing no fruit. And so he cursed the fig tree. And the next day, Mark 11, verse 20, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Y'all heard that before? Yep. Okay, I bet you've heard this next part before too. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Heard that one before? Yep. I wonder how often we connect this next verse. To this passage. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. The faith that moves mountains is forgiveness. Y'all catching that? The faith that moves mountains is forgiveness. I believe much of the church is longing to see the power of God show up and do stuff, change lives, heal people, set people free. And, and we wonder like, God, do we not have enough faith in our generation? Maybe I need to pray a little harder. Maybe I need to fast a little more. Maybe I need to do a little, a little bit of X, Y, and Z. I believe that it's just possible that maybe God's incredible steadfast love needs to be poured into the heart of the church 
so that he can entrust us with kingdom power that moves mountains because we're going to do it from a place of love. Because without that, I'm going to look a lot like the sons of thunder. I'm going to have the faith that wants to call down fire from heaven on my enemies. But Jesus is saying the kind of mountains I want to move is the mountains that sets people free. I want to rip up mulberry trees. I want to rip up mountains and throw them into the sea so people can receive healing, freedom, forgiveness, peace with me. That's the faith that moves mountains. Guys, I I believe that it's unforgiveness that rips many of us off from producing fruit. The only miracle Jesus did that involved the curse was that fig tree. And he cursed it because it was unfruitful. Jesus wants to remove the curse so that we can be fruitful. He wants to remove the hold that our enemies have over us so that we can receive and experience his steadfast love. And then he's looking around. Are some of my sons and daughters out there who've received and experienced my incredible love who want to be a little bit more like me, who want to carry me around to a world of need? See, that sounds exciting, right? Man, carry the love of Jesus. Shine it in the dark. Help people who need it. Cool, that person right there that just punched you in the face. Oh, wait, hold on. God is inviting us into something beautiful. There there is a, a secret to love. There is a secret to the very fruit that God produces in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is a secret to that. It's rooted in the steadfast love of God. May we purpose in our hearts to grow in maturity. May we purpose in our hearts to say, help, I need that mustard seed of faith to love my enemy, to forgive like you forgive. And let's watch and see what mountains might be moved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I really just want to say thank you. Thank you for your patient endurance, your loving, patient endurance in my life. Thank you that you in the past have not given up on me. Thank you that you still have not given up on me. God, thank you for forgiving me so well, for loving me so well. God, I pray for my own heart and life. I pray for the lives of my friends. God, this is, this is hard. It's hard to do. But God, I thank you that there is something beautiful available in you. That as we receive and experience your love and we purpose to grow in maturity, to be more like our really good, loving father, God, that you'll give us that gift. You'll equip us to do this. God, that you'll give us the faith that we need that moves mountains, that pulls up bitter roots, 
that brings freedom into our life. And God, it enables us to love some enemies who can become brothers, who can become sisters, who can experience your steadfast love in their life. Maybe we can even give them a small taste of that. God, would you help us to grow into this kind of loving maturity? We need you. We can't do it apart from you, and thank you that we don't have to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.